Amen and amen. You know, uh, last Sunday I uh, preached a message on application is everything, talking about how important it is, according to James chapter 1, that we not be people who just listen. We don't be people who just audit, but we actually take to heart what we hear, what we read in God's Word, and we become practitioners of the Word of God, making application of God's Word into our daily lives. We're emphasizing the importance of practical Christian living. Uh, So during the message in my last moment preparations for that message last Sunday, I thought, you know, I think I'm just going to stretch this out through June. And uh, what I wanted to do is, having built the foundation last Sunday for the idea and the concept of being doers of the Word and practicers of the Word, I wanted to give you today and the next two Sundays, I wanted to select things that were practical uh, exhortations that are biblically based, but that will give us some help in knowing what we need to be doing in order to be practical Christians. You know, wearing the tag, uh, wearing a cross, claiming your identification as a Christian is not enough if your life isn't changed. Am I right? So I decided that I would expand on that basis and the foundation that we started last week and that I would use the book of Hebrews as a foil, if you will, for sharing with you some of those practical things. So as I was digging into the book of Hebrews, I was reminded of something that some, some time ago I, I'd noticed, but I forgot. And that is the number of times that you read the phrase uh, or the two words, let us. I wonder if you ever noticed that. There's actually 14 times in the book of Hebrews. It says, let us do this. Let us do this. Let us do this. The Hebrew writer is obviously admonishing the Hebrew believers, and that's who the letter of Hebrews was written to. It it was written to Christians with a Jewish background who happened to be having difficult times. In fact, the the problem that they were having is that many of these uh, converted Jews to, to Christianity were starting to really get a little flaky and were starting to waver in their faith. Some actually were wanting to go back to their former lives saying, man, we face so many problems. There's so many persecutions as Christians. Man, how do we make this? And they were actually being tempted to revert to their old lives. So the Hebrew writer provides some warnings, lots of good warnings in the book of Hebrews, uh, and some very solid teaching in order to urge the readers to hold firm. And so he is identifying as we, we don't By the way, we don't totally, we're not all in agreement, let's put it that way, about who the author is to the book of Hebrews. Some people say it's possible. Anyway, it doesn't matter who wrote it. The point is it's God's inspired word. Amen? So the Hebrew author is urging, as a Hebrew Christian, uh, he is saying, hey, listen, come on, folks. This is what we've got to do. Let us do this. Let us do this. Let us do this. Uh, some people have said humorously that makes us all salad Christians. But anyway, the, uh, the, I think what we do, <laughs> so what we do need to do is find out what the Bible is saying to us in terms of our practical Christian living and apply that. So I've picked a separate lettuce for today, for next Sunday and the last Sunday. And today it's going to come from Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24 through 25. 
Before we read it, let me just mention to you another motivation that I had in doing this. We're, uh, it, it, we're officially in summer now, right? A lot of high schools had graduation uh, this weekend. I know some schools finished up their week this last week. Some of you have one more to suffer through. But anyway, uh, summer is upon us. And, and, and if you've noticed in our particular culture, things happen to people. Life changes up during summer months. You've got to mow the lawn more. You've got to, you know, you have more family, more opportunities for holidays and vacations. All kinds of things happen. I have discovered that Christians find unique temptations during summer months. Unique temptations that can cause them to have what I will just call a little slippage. A little slippage. And the things that many times they know what's right, but there's a little slippage during the summer months. So as a way to try to avert some slippage, I think this is a good place for us to begin today. All right? So let me read to you uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us, lots of let us here, see? And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. How many believe that Jesus, his coming, we don't know the date and time, but I know one thing, it's closer now than it was last month. Amen? It's sure closer than it was when Hebrews was being written, right? And so what a wonderful couple of verses, and I want us to break it down in this way. I want you to notice three specific actions that are in these two verses that are addressing the issue of community. We believe that the local church is the family of God. Now, we know there is a broader universal church, and we're all members of the big family of God, but let's don't kid ourselves. That's not real practical, right, relating to the universal body of Christ. What is practical, and the reason that Jesus established the local church, is because he wants people to have a place to connect and to be a part of one another and to actually form a body of believers, a family of God. Whether it's small, medium-sized, or large, or a megachurch, those are local churches that we simply are referring to today as our community of faith. All right? So turn to your neighbor and say, you're part of my community. Just turn to your right say, you're simply a part of my community. The Hebrew writer in verse 24 and 25 give us, gives us three very clear admonitions. These are action steps. They're not theoretical. They're not lofty. They're not like, wow, I've got to think about what that really means. That is heavy theology. No, no, no. This is super practical stuff. And he gives to us three actions that we're all to take together. And so let's look at them one by one. The first action, he says, is motivate one another. Now, you will notice that each of these have to do with what? One another. Because they're about what? Community. The one another's assume, and there's quite a few one another's in the New Testament. If you haven't noticed, there's quite a few. I forgot how many. But there's quite a few one another's. There's bear with one another's burdens, love one another, forgive one another, uh, support one another, all these one another's. Listen to me carefully. The one another's in the New Testament make an important presupposition and assumption. And that is they assume we're in community. 
The one another's cannot be practiced if we're isolated, independent, watching TV, watching church on TV. You can't, you don't, you don't have, you can't do the one another's that way. You say, well, I get fed, you know, I listen to this program or I listen to this podcast on my early morning run. Uh, that's all cool, but that ought to be considered supplemental. We need to have community where we can practice what the New Testament tells us in these one another's. So here's the first one he gives us, motivate one another. Verse 24, it said, let us think of ways to motivate one another. The New King James says, let us consider ways to motivate one another. The idea there of thinking of ways, which is an interesting phrase in the original language, I like what the paraphrase in the Message Bible, how, how it challenges us with this. Uh, he simply chose to use this language. Let us see how inventive we can be about motivating one another. The idea is to consider, to think. It actually is telling us, that we're not supposed to just have community, come to church, come to whether it be a small group or whether it be a Sunday morning. We're not supposed to just come mindlessly. We're not just supposed to show up at small group without having preemptively thought about what I'm going to do when I connect with this group of Christians. And absolutely convinced that this practice is rarely done. Not just using us. This is, I'm speaking broadly of the body of Christ. This is rarely done because we live in a culture that is what? It's me focused. We live in an environment, a culture that is a consumer driven environment and culture, which is what? It's all about me. The problem is somehow we've fallen into the trap of thinking coming to church coming to a small group gathering attending and participating a church event is like going to Target. Well, we simply go to Target, we take our cart, we shop around, we look what it is for whatever that we want and that we need, we buy it, and we're done, we're out. Now, I know many of you are not, uh, don't relate to this, but back in the day, there were restaurants that were called cafeterias. I don't know if some of you can even spell that word. Cafeterias. They don't have them very much in, in these days. Um, did you say you did or didn't? Yeah, oh, Patricia's with me. Man, I just love, not all of them, but some of them. But anyway, a cafeteria, it would be, it's, it's somewhat uh, like going through certain uh, restaurants where you get in a buffet line and you go through a buffet and you make a choice. Uh, the closest thing I could come out to is, uh, that relate to it is a place I avoid. But they're, 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 uh, the Golden Corral restaurant would be the closest parallel to cafeterias where you have this buffet of, umpteen options and choices of food, right? So what do you do if you happen to fall into sin and go to a golden corral? What would you, what would you do? You get, you get your tray and you do what? You're like surveying all the options. I'm going to have one of those. I'm going to have that. Oh, that looks good today. And then you try something say, that just didn't have the taste and flavor. So you throw it away. You go back and get something else. People go to church that way. They attend whatever church they're part of, and they're like, um, I think I'm going to have this. 
this? That looks good. That looks good. And by the way, have you ever noticed when you go to Golden Corral, they don't make you clean up? You ever noticed it? You don't have to prepare the meal. You don't have to. All you got to do is pay the check and you're out of there, right? And people, because of a consumer mindset, we expect the local church to function the same way. We come in, we're very selective, we're picky even, and we're like, oh, I think I want some of that, and I'll take that, I'll ignore that, and spit that out, that's no good. We have all of these consumer thoughts about participating in a church, as opposed to thinking of church as what? A family. And I don't know about y'all, but when I grew up in my family, my mama... There wasn't any option about cafeteria choices, was there, right? It was like, this is what you're having to eat tonight. Eat it, love it. And by the way, you're cleaning up tonight after dinner. How many of y'all relate to that kind of past? Some of you are spoiled, I understand that, and cuddled. But uh, that's the way it was in the family that I grew up in. I think the church should be more like a family. And that means we don't come saying, no, we come together as a family connected together. And one of the challenges we're given here from the Hebrew writer is what? We need to think about something even before we come together. What are you supposed to think about? This is amazing. I think a lot of people miss that. We're actually supposed to think of inventive, creative ways that we can stir. The King James uses the word spur, has nothing to do with, the San Antonio Spurs. Spur or stir, uh, it, it's actually a word uh, that this particular translation I provided on the screen today was motivate. It meant to rouse someone to action, to cause and incite excitement, to create a compulsion or a thirst in other people. And then he goes on to explain exactly what that thirst is supposed to be for. We are supposed to think of a way that we can help to create a thirst in someone else and a hunger, stir them up and, and, and spur them on and motivate and inspire them to do what? To grow in love and in good works. That means, y'all help me now if I'm getting this wrong, right? So that means that when I'm coming together, with other believers that are part of my community, my spiritual family, I'm actually supposed to think of what I can do to stir up Jezreel and Patricia Nesbitt or whoever it may be that you're connected to. And so I have to, in other words, don't leave it to spontaneity is what it's saying. And that's what we do. We either, oh, well, you know, if I happen to you know, feel something... If I choose to talk to someone. No, no, no. The idea here is we're supposed to be interconnected. We're members of the body. And actually, I come prepared in my mind trying to think of inventive, creative ways that I can, that I can stir up, that I can motivate and create hunger and thirst. And Patricia and Jezreel, you might say, well, they really don't need it. You don't know. You don't know. You don't have a clue. So I, my job is to find ways that the people that I'm going to connect with and that I relate to, and you may even just, if you really pray about it, I've had people tell me before, bring a face up before me on a Saturday night and say, find that person tomorrow and say this. You know what a difference that makes in people's lives? To actually think about how I can help motivate someone else. 
All of us. How many of you agree? All of us need to receive that. But we also are all responsible to give that. To encourage people to, to grow in their love for God. To go on with God. Remember, he's writing to, to Jewish Christians who are wavering. How many of you have ever wavered in your faith? Bunch of liars. How many of you have wavered in your faith before? How many of you had a rough week where you're like, I'm ready to throw in the towel? Raise your hand. All right. So we all need that. Try to find ways. Think about it ahead of time. How you can utilize and make a difference in the community that you're a part of. And you can really make a difference in someone's life. You can increase the amount of good deeds that they're doing. You can have a real resounding effect upon their growing and increasing and steadying love for God. Let's look at number two. Number two, the second one is, let us do what? Meet with one another. The scripture actually says, right after that first phrase, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. Now, this ought to be pretty straightforward, but I think you understand how in the world are you going to stir one another up for love and good works if you're not meeting together? So it goes, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? But the Hebrew writer uses this as a moment to encourage people to do what? To do just that. Make sure you don't ignore, abandon, that retreat from the habit of meeting together as a family. One of the challenges that my wife and I have today is helping to find creative ways to get our children and grandchildren to hang out together. It's because they're all spread out. They're living separate lives. Some of you maybe are so blessed that you have kids that live close by and it's very easy. Let me tell you, for the Hill family, it, it, it's, it's, it's turning water into wine. I mean, it takes miracles to pull off a, a, a time that we can all get together and just to try to enhance family. And it, it really works. And, and it's kind of like they've just kind of in some, sometimes they, I feel like they just checked out. They're just checking out. Now, the day's going to come, they're going to go, wow, you know, I just wish we would have had more times together. See, they'll, they'll wake up one day. Uh, I just hope I'm going to be around when they wake up. That's what I'm hoping. But the point is, here the Hebrew writer is saying to the church family, don't ignore, don't abandon, don't retreat, don't get slack in the habit of meeting together on a regular basis. Strong Christians, strong believers have a holy habit of church involvement participation. I can compare to you weak Christians, strong Christians, growing Christians, declining Christians, and I can show you that consistent, strong participation in a family of believers makes a big difference. And I would add strong families. Strong families also demonstrate the holy habit of ongoing involvement and participation in church. Now, I find it interesting. A lot of people ignore this, and they kind of slough it off because they go, oh, yeah, yeah, I, should, I, I need to attend church more. It's more than that. The Scripture tells us in Luke 4, 16, when it was getting ready, when Jesus was getting ready to stand up in the synagogue, you know, and where he was going to read the passage from Isaiah, and this, we always focus on, you know, what he read and all that. Sometimes we forget this little phrase that's a part of that verse. May I just read it to you? And it says this. In Luke chapter 4, verse 16, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up 
And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. What does that tell us? Consistently, systematically, and regularly, Jesus went to synagogue. That was his practice. Who? The Son of God? Jesus? The Messiah? Why would he need to go to the synagogue? Wasn't he sinless? He didn't need to, he didn't need to, to confess any sin. Did he? But he had developed a habit of what? Going to synagogue. If it was important enough for Jesus, the Son of God, to consistently, regularly have a habit of attending synagogue every Saturday, how many of you think it might be also something to consider for Christians today to be regular and have a habit of regular participation in their local church family? Can I hear an amen? I saw, I used to have a, I used to do this, I don't do it anymore, I gave up, but I used to collect these photographs of uh, church signage. You know how a lot of churches have signs that have marquees on them, and it's always interests me to watch the, 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 either the creativity or sometimes the stupidity involved in coming up with whatever is going to be on their church signs, you know, and um, I, I made a note of one that I remember. I used to collect those pictures, and I would show them sometimes. But anyway, this is one that I thought was pretty cool. And the sign read this with these letters. It had capital H, a capital C, capital H, then a blank, and then it had capital C, capital H, and then underneath that, C-H space C-H. And underneath it said this. It said, what's missing? You are the U and the R. Some of you still aren't getting it. After church, after church, over lunch, you'll get it. You are. And the truth of the matter, that's pretty, that's pretty consistent. It is that it, sometimes our regularity and consistency is not what it needs to be in church. And let's don't just ring it up to, ah, well, you know, just do whatever, do whatever. No, we're created for community. I said, you're created for community. And here's a weird truth about us as humans. All right, a little psychology. You ready for this? While we long, there's something in us that God planted in us that longs for community, we also run from it. There's a weird part of our psyche that wants to avoid community. There's a part of us, uh, even natural, not even, un, not even a redemptive part, there's a part of us that we have this inner knowing that we need people, we need others. But there's also a part of us that wants to avoid it and run from it. So we inherited, I believe, from Adam, not only a tendency to hide from God, but a tendency to hide from one another. We struggle with these two conflicting desires. On the one hand, we desire to be close to one another. On the other hand, we want to hold others at an arm's Miroslav Volk, in his book called Exclusion and Embrace, he says that we only have two options available to us in relationships. We can embrace people, take them by the hand, do life with them, open our hearts to them, or we can exclude others. We embrace 
or we exclude. We can exclude others and we grow cold and distant as we shut people out of our life. The reality is that we have to invest and make certain that we are meeting, spending time regularly together as a body of believers, whether it's in the large group setting, the medium-sized setting, or whether it's in a small group. How many of you remember the line from the movie, um, Lord of the Rings, in the episode, the Fellowship of the Ring episode, where across the screen were these words that have become kind of synonymous almost with that movie. Fate has chosen him. A fellowship will protect him. Evil will hunt them. So those of you not familiar with the movie, it wouldn't mean anything at all. But notice, again, fate has chosen him. A fellowship will protect him. Evil will hunt them. The point of the matter is there is safety and protection among our community. But we have to invest regularly in it. You see, non-participation, according to (laughs) Hebrews 10.25, can be habit-forming. Habit-forming. It said what? Let us make sure that we meet together and we not neglect it, we don't abandon it, as some people do. There were Hebrew Christians that were starting to become less and less engaged in community. And he was challenging them to make sure that they not neglect that. In our common, in our culture today, Abandoning the community of faith has become quite common as we look at national statistics. Lower and more and more issues with consistency of people in their church attendance across churches, um, evangelical churches. uh, In the last couple of years, the statistics have been released that the average person attends church less than two times a month. Less than two times a month. That's Average across the board, across the country. But here our challenge is what? In order to stir one another up to love and good works, we have to be present. People today are really, really good because it's just life. Life is just busy. And it's very easy to find substitutes or excuses. So I started, the other day I started making a list of commonly heard excuses that we have. Well, I'm just, you know, I try to reach out. If I see someone missing church for a few Sundays, I do our best between several of us. We just try to reach out and make sure people feel included and that they're missed. And I hear these things. Well, I was just in a funk. I'm thinking to myself, now, y'all have to forgive me, all right? I know I've been a pastor for 45 years. But I'm thinking, okay, I'm in a funk. Where would be the best place for me to help get out of the just a thought, all right? The other one was, well, I was out late on Saturday night. I don't have an answer for that. Uh, how about this one? Well, Pastor, Sunday's my only day to sleep in. I, don't, I, I could come up with a response, but I don't. Uh, another one is, with, I find church, you can help get someone really honest, I find that church is boring. That's a common comment that you hear at large. Now, I hope 
that that's not a comment that someone would say about River Inn Church uh, because, frankly, I never know what's going to happen. So how can it be boring to you? <laughs> and then you always have some that say, well, I just don't like the pastors. They don't tell me this. But I just don't like the, I don't like the pastor's personality. My response is, me either. All right. So an- <laughs> another one. Another one. Well, you know, I really don't get anything out of the pastor's messages. My response, join the club. (laughs) Probably the most accurate response that I hear are people who say this, you know, honestly, I think I've just gotten out of the habit. Let me encourage you as the Hebrew writer does. This is not just a privilege. It's not just a priority. It's a solemn duty unto the Lord. And it has many benefits and byproducts. All right, let's look at the last one before we close. Number three. So number one, can we review? Let us what? Let us motivate one another. Number two is let's make sure we're meeting together. And number three, do what? Let us encourage one another. Verse 25. But, he says, and I think that's an interesting word, by the way. Sometimes look at that in that whole text. The word but there. So in other words, instead of neglecting to hang out together and spend time together, he says, but what? Encourage one another. In other words, you have to be present to do that. (laughs) You have to be engaged and plugged in in order to obey this part, all right? So, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. The word encourage is a word that means to put courage in. It means to strengthen. In the Hebrew word for encourage, it actually means like taking several, uh, several vines or pieces of rope and, and weaving them together. And the result is what? A piece of rope that is far stronger than it was before. It's the idea of strengthening one another. Notice, by the way, if you want to study the, the way that this text is written, that this phrase, encourage one another, is written in the present tense which means what? It's to be a continual action. In other words, it's not like, check, I did my encouraging duty this year. Check, done, I don't have to worry about it anymore. Encourage and keep on encouraging one another. Why? Because encouragement is the oxygen of the soul. No one, there's no one that doesn't need encouragement some more than others but it is true i love what william barclay the great commentator wrote he said it's easy to laugh at men's ideals it's easy to discourage others the world is full of discouragers we have a christian duty to encourage one another many a time a word of praise or thanks or appreciation or cheer has kept a man on his feet Blessed is the person who speaks such a word. Encouraging one another can be as simple as a hug. Encouragement can be as simple as a prayer shared with someone. Not alone, but with them. Encouragement can be as simple as a small note. Even the impersonal text message is better than nothing. But connecting in the context of community and knowing we each have a responsibility to encourage one another. I have a lot of times people say, Pastor, I'm just trying to find my ministry. And I have a 
way of responding to people like that. I say, I've got it. I've got your ministry figured out. And they're like, oh, oh, what is it? And I reminded the passage of Scripture that talks about the ministry of encouragement. That every single one of us are to have the ministry of encouragement. If all of us could look at Barnabas and say, I want to be like him when I grow up. I want to be an encourager. What can I do? Again, this takes consideration and reflection. What can I do to lift someone up? What can I do to brighten someone else's day? Now, don't lie. Don't tell them how great their hair is when you're like... Don't go to that hair salon. Don't lie. Don't be disgenuine. Be authentic. Be real. Be honest. But find ways to encourage one another. It is so important. So I'll close with this illustration. We live in an area um, where Canadian geese populate not only the air paths, but every piece of available real estate Canadian geese have. So so I have uh, developed in my years of living here a disdain for Canadian geese. But to... Gary shoots them. Some of you embrace them. That's okay. So, look, I'm going to redeem myself, all right, with this story, all right? So, all of us, while they're not pooping on your lawn, when they do decide to fly, okay, when they do decide to fly for any distance at all, they do fly. It's known scientifically they fly in a certain formation, in a V formation. And that's not V for victory because of your baseball team, all right? They fly in a V formation for very scientific reasons. Now, I could spend an hour, okay, teaching you about Canadian geese, all right? But I've limited it to simply a couple of quick observations, all right? Did you know that it has been proven that when geese fly in a V formation, that they increase their flight range by 71%? compared to how far they could fly single, solo. 71% farther because of the principles, the proven you know, physics principles of draft and all the other reasons. So what's the point? The point is we need to learn to fly together. There's, there's sense, makes sense, doesn't it? Did you also know that geese, there's always a lead goose And this is always intriguing to me. Did you know that they actually take turns leading? They'll the lead goose, they'll go a certain distance, and the lead goose will say, time for sabbatical, and they'll back off, peel off, and get into the back of the line and draft off of everybody else, and someone else takes the lead. It's proven. One other thing that's kind of interesting is that in V formation, geese have been proven to do a lot of honking. Now, they do that anyway, and pretty well wherever they are, okay? But they do more honking when they're flying in V formation. And it's been proven by those who study things like this that you know what they're actually doing? They're encouraging the geese in front of them. That kind of wasn't my intent to just get the awe. Oh, yeah. Let's make sure we get the point here, all right? The point is, if it's important enough for a goose 
to honk loud, to encourage those flying in their formation. How much more important is it for us as believers, a part of the community of faith, to do what? Do a little honking. Yeah. Yeah. Do a little honking, right? Y'all are impossible. All right. So 60-second uh, recap, all right? To put this into practice, here's what I want. This is my challenge to you, all right? So we're told three things. Uh, we're told to motivate one another. We're told to uh, not forget meeting together. And we're told to encourage one another. That's how we live in community. You say, well, what do I need to do? And I, the last thing I want is for you to walk out of here and forget what I taught you last week, which was what? We need to be practitioners of the word. So here's what I want to challenge you with. And some of you are going to be uh, about this, all right? Number one, I want to challenge you to some point soon make a decision, you and your spouse and you and your family, uh, Choose, make a decision to plug in, plug in for four weeks in a row to your local church, this church to who I'm speaking with, involvement. Four weeks in a row. You say, well, why four weeks? Because there's a much greater chance that if you do it four weeks in a row, you're going to do what? Someone said feel bad. Is that what you said? Oh, no. (laughs) Not feel bad. No, no. I heard you, Kim, really. Uh, That you're going to develop the habit. Try it. Number two, I want to challenge you. Find someone. They might be actually a part of Riverbend, or they might be scattered. They might be a non-believer. They might be someone who's no longer going to church somewhere. Find someone who is not plugged in and include them. Help them. Reach out to them. Encourage them. And lastly, number three, take advantage of small group and medium-sized group options and opportunities. Simply Summer, fall will be here soon. We'll have a new slate of small groups kicking off. But in other words, don't ignore that opportunity to meet together. Would you stand with me to pray? Father God, we thank you that you are not only an embracing, loving, heavenly Father, but you also provide us just practical advice for Christian living. Lord, we want our lives to not just be a confession, a statement, words. Lord, we want our lives to represent you. We ask that you would help us for our own sake and to honor you to put these three practices, these take these actions and really make them, integrate them into our lives. Father, I pray for those who have needs today that they will receive prayer and ministry. Whatever their needs are, let them see that Jesus Christ is the answer. We pray all this in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask that our prayer teams would come forward right now. Please stand at the front. And I'm simply going to release you with a statement of blessing, a declaration of blessing. If you have a need in your life, whether it be spiritual, whether it be financial, whether you need healing, whether you need a job or whatever it may be you need. There are people here who care about you and they're here to pray for you. Take advantage of it. So let me bless you now as you leave. I bless you today with fullness of God's Spirit, with fullness of love, peace, and joy. I bless you today with opportunities that will happen this week. I bless you today with opportunities to motivate others to encourage someone else to connect, plug in, 
and hang out with believers within your community of faith. I bless you with physical, spiritual, and financial prosperity in every area of your life. Walk in the blessings of God. Amen and amen. You're dismissed. Please come for prayer as you have a need.